He is risen. Yes, he has, and that is why we're here. What a wonderful day. What a beautiful day he has given to us. We're going to dismiss the children in just a moment for uh, Discovery Kids, but before we do that, uh, before we get into the story from John's Gospel, Chapter 20, we're going to uh, say together our memory verse for the for the month, and then uh, the children will be dismissed for Discovery uh, Kids. So as we say this, these four words, as we recite them together, I invite you to join me by standing either in spirit or physically before God as we say these words from Psalm 46. Come and see what the Lord has done he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God's thanks. God, you can remain standing as the kids go to Discovery Kids. We're going to dismiss them now. Their teacher and the helper will be there to meet and greet and to spend some time with them. And that is up to grade five for those who want to. And we remain standing as we hear these words from John's Gospel, from the book that we love. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went to where they had been staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? What are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Arama Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, 
Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he said these things to her. God's very word. Thanks be to God, and you may be seated. We have prayer pads that are in the front of each of the three sections. It's an opportunity for us to share our prayer needs, our prayer requests. If there is one by you, if you could pick that up, and if there's something you want to put there, that would be wonderful, and we can send those out on Monday. And if not, uh, just take the pad and pass it on back to the end of the section. The old adage goes something like this. If something seems too good to be true, then it probably is. Looking for that airline ticket? It's too good to be true, but you get it. And then you find out you also, after you buy the ticket, have to buy a boarding pass. And they put a fee on every single thing. I should have checked into that earlier. Sounds too good to be true, probably is. Our sister-in-law got one of those letters in the mail. You know, the one that uh, some far distant relative died and left you millions and please contact them. You know, it's a scam right away. And I thought, well, just for giggles, let me uh, take the letterhead and put it in here. And within five seconds, Google told me all the all the warnings that were there about don't do anything with this person. Most people think the resurrection is a scam. People are skeptical. But there's something about the offer, the offer that Jesus makes, that's worth looking into. And when you do, you find out it is a great offer. It is too good to be true, but it is true. This is an offer to give us a new body in a renewed world, in a new home, to live with people that we love forever and with a God who saved us and we get to serve him. And in the meantime, he gives to us an abundant life here and now. The resurrection of Jesus, it is true, and it is too good. It shows that he claims to be who he is, and he promises to do what he promises to do. So let's look a bit at John's gospel account of the story. It's first of all a resurrection that speaks to our mind, and that's an important thing. It says that Mary Magdalene was at the tomb. She finds the empty tomb. She runs to Peter and to John to tell them that the tomb is empty. Peter goes straight into the tomb, sees the linen there and the cloth that was on Jesus' head. And then it says, he saw it. John uses a different word there. Not just simply the word see or to observe. That word, he saw it is the word theoreo, 
from which we get the word theorize. It's looking with intentionality and trying to understand. He not only saw the grave clothes that were left, but he's trying to figure this out. He's trying to discern, to understand these things that he doesn't yet understand. He's trying to use his mind. I mean, if it was normal grave robbers, why would they take the least important thing and leave the most important thing, all the ointments and linens? If it was the disciples, why would they dishonor the body by peeling off the clothes? He's starting to theorize, think, why could this happen? And John doesn't even get into some of the other factors that are going on about why the guards aren't there anymore. They needed evidence to believe in the resurrection. Many people think that Christians believe blindly, but that's not true. We don't. If we have a faith that hasn't done its share of thinking and reasoning, when the ups and downs of life come, it won't last. Jesus said that's like the seed that, the seed that falls on a rocky ground. It spurts real quickly, but then when the heat of the sun comes, it withers away. Peter, John, and Mary, and the others were presented with evidence, and so much more. There are people who have written books that just pile on the evidence. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'm just going to talk about two. The first person to see Jesus is Mary Magdalene. That's what John records. Now, in that time, and it was a cultural error, it wasn't a religious error, it was a cultural error, and we still see that error, that women were held in low esteem. But each gospel records that women were the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. It would have been seen as a weakness, though we know that it is not. But even secular historians say, if you want to cast a tale and give it believability, you would not say that a woman would be the one who is the first one to see the resurrected Christ. You would have given strength to it. If you would have made it up, you would have said a man saw Jesus. But here, God, in his great wisdom, speaks about all who are reliable, and she becomes a reliable witness. Peter and John, they needed evidence, too, to believe. They didn't fully believe it. They are trying to theorize, they're trying to understand, but yet... As the day would progress, and as the days would pass by, they too would come to understand the resurrection. They knew that in that day, there were many messianic pretenders. The Romans did away with them. Depending on who you read, anywhere from 12 to 17 messianic pretenders in that very first century. And when they died, 
their followers died and their teaching died. And they maybe thought that the same was going to be happening here. Now, depending on who you read, on who you read, some Jews or most of the Jews believed in a bodily resurrection at the end of time. But they didn't hold to a resurrection in the middle of time. That was just not something that was part of their worldview, part of their framework, that someone would come and rise from the dead on their own. And then, after his death and resurrection, they started worshiping God in human form. For thousands of years, they had been taught, don't worship an image. They would never have worshipped God in human form unless their entire world had been turned upside down. Unless they themselves had been changed and their whole, whole framework had been changed. Because now they worshipped Jesus, Son of God, raised from the dead. Their whole worldview was being changed. And they would spend the rest of of their lives, proclaiming it, and they'd be willing to die for it. One of the real quick, simple books that I like is a, is a little book by Josh McDowell. I made reference to this a few months ago, uh, More Than a Carpenter. He just gives uh, quite a few great uh, examples of giving evidence of the resurrection of the dead by Jesus and how people have gone to it trying to disprove Christianity and have come out on the other side giving their life over to Jesus. One of the things that he said that, that's along this line is that there has never been a group of people who have held true to a lie that they knew was a lie and died for that. Let me explain. Josh says in his book, there are people who have died for a lie but they didn't know it was a lie. They thought it was the truth. But there had never been a group of people who made up a lie, knew it was a lie, and they were all willing to die for that lie, knowing it was a lie. There's always some snitch who says, I'll spare my neck, I'll save my life, I'll tell you what we were trying to do. McDowell who is deep into the evidence, has not been able to find any group of people who came up with a lie and they were willing to die for that lie. They knew it was the truth, and they all died for the truth. The resurrection is a resurrection for the mind. It has tenacity, it has reliability. The resurrection is also a resurrection of the heart. It speaks to our heart relationship with God. Look at how Jesus ministers to Mary Magdalene. As much as she is filled with love for Jesus, as much as we admire her, she is weeping. Peter and John don't respond that way, but Mary is inconsolable because she's looking for a dead Jesus, right? 
She is looking for a dead Jesus. She is looking for that corpse. So he has to reveal himself to her. Look at how gentle he is. He comes up and says, Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? See, if there's something messed up in a person, uh, it's best to ask them questions so that they can have some self-discovery. Jesus doesn't come out to reprimand her because she's, she's looking for a dead Jesus when all along he was saying that he was going to rise from the dead. He is very gentle and caring in his approach. She needs to own up to her own short-sightedness. And he has come to her for this very reason. To show his love and his care for her. If there is anyone who loves Jesus, it is because Jesus has come and revealed himself to her or to him. Maybe through a friend. Maybe through circumstance. Maybe through an answer to prayer. But he is the one who comes. Faith is impossible unless Jesus comes to us to open our mind and open our hearts. And he comes to give the message to Mary. And then Mary goes and tells. Jesus didn't reveal himself to anyone else that morning. He didn't reveal himself to John. He didn't reveal himself to Peter. There's only one person that morning who saw the resurrected Jesus. Mary Magdalene. Luke chapter 7 and 8 tells us that she had seven demons, and seven could mean literally seven, but seven is also a symbol for a host. And Jesus cast the demons out. She is a former social outcast. And she's the only one with the message. She is the first ambassador, a reformed mental patient, not a seminary graduate. Jesus trusts her to be the first eyewitness that morning. How much more powerful could Jesus say to us, salvation is not based on heritage, it is not based by any kind of intellectual achievement. Salvation is not attained by any good works or how much talent someone has. Jesus saves those who know they are weak, and we cast ourselves on him. To believe in Jesus is to receive his grace, his unmerited favor. We know that he calls us to be his child. He has done everything for our new life. And we have done nothing but open up our hearts to receive him in. It is a resurrection that talks about our heart and about our closeness. And it is also, thirdly, a resurrection for the soul. I find it interesting how Jesus reveals himself. He wasn't like some of the heroes do and suddenly pop up in a crowd to get their acclamation, to get all of their hero welcome. He doesn't land on Pilate's doorstep. He doesn't make an entrance into the temple. 
he comes gently to Mary Magdalene. And as he comes to her, he comes, he doesn't say, you know, you just didn't believe at all, all along the way. He wasn't that kind of cold. Mary, this kind, gentle way. The greatest, most ultimate person in the universe comes to each of us tenderly, warmly, with love in his heart to know us personally and that will change us. When you know Jesus Christ in your life, it transforms the way you look at things, it transforms the way you live. You don't have to try to make your life look great by looking great on social media. You don't have to do that because you know who you are. You know who you belong to. You don't have to portray any kind of false self-confidence when you feel low and inadequate. When we know him, we grow in knowing ourselves. It helps us to know who we are, and it helps us to know what he has called us to do. It's interesting in John's Gospel that when Mary Magdalene uh, sees him, she grabs him, and he says, don't hold me too, too tight because I'm ascending to my father. Uh, sometimes that, that leaves us a little bit confused, and it kind of left the commentators a little bit confused, too. What, what's going on here between this change, exchange between Jesus and Mary Magdalene? Well, I think in this exchange, Jesus is showing the main way in which we will understand who we are as his child and what he calls us to do. There's a couple commentators who say this, and I, I gravitate towards them because I think it, it captures the essence of where the story goes. They say this. This is what Jesus means. I can see why you want to grab me, because you're afraid of losing me again. But I am about to go to heaven, and I will send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is in your life, you will have me forever and more deeply than if I was still here in body. And because of the Holy Spirit coming, because I ascend and he will descend, not even the deepest dungeon will be able to separate you from my love. You will know who you are, and you will know what I've called you to do. That is why so many years ago, God first breathed his breath You might know who you are and know what he's called you to do. So today is a great day. Without this day, we would be the most pathetic people in the world. Without this day, we would be the biggest groups of losers in the world. 
Without this day, we would be the largest gathering of fools ever gathered. But because of this day, it speaks to our mind that the evidence is there and true. It speaks to our heart about the tenderness of Jesus. And it speaks to our soul that he wants to have this relationship with us so we can know who we are and know what he wants us to do. This is a great day to celebrate all the difference Jesus makes to us. I invite you to join with me in prayer. Father God, how we bless you for this day. We bless you for your loving heart. And we thank you for that day, the day in which you warmed and opened our heart to you. Whether we were heading down a certain path, whether it was that we always heard of your love and care since we were as small as we can remember, uh, thank you for coming, opening up our heart and mind to you. We thank you for the cross, for the suffering, for the opportunity you gave us to pause and to reflect, to show how much you loved us by how much you were willing to suffer for us. And Father God, we just thank you and pray you will help us to grow deeper in you, to grow deeper in understanding your great love and deeper in understanding how we can share that great love with others. Father, we lift up the needs of our faith community to you. We pray that your grace and abundance would be upon Gail and upon Gil. We pray that it will be upon Pam and upon Joe. Father, we pray that your grace and care will be upon those in our community who need housing and who need care and that you would provide that. We pray with Jen for her father's procedure coming up on the 11th, that that procedure would be successful, that you'd bring healing to him. We pray for Hugh's dad. We pray, Lord, that you would bring comfort and care to him and to his mom and to their whole family that you will provide in abundance out of your love and your grace we thank you so much for good news we bless you once again for eleanor and for her life and for her safe delivery and for Alyssa and that she is doing well we bless you for danielle and for her delivery and that that delivery was well and they're both doing well and strong and we just bless you and thank you for them in the meantime we pray for Annalise and we pray for Kylie that you will protect them with grace and comfort in this waiting time and ultimately bring good and safe deliveries to them as well we pray for our students and administrators teachers and parents we lift up our students that they will be directed in their learning to see you in every corner and every crevice of every book that they open. We pray you will keep leading our young people into the desired future you have for each of them. 
and may they be open to that leading. We pray for families that are struggling on many levels, struggling with finances, with parenting, with aging parents and their care, struggling with extreme brokenness, families that are longing for wisdom and strength. We lift up our families to you. We lift up families that we are close to. You will provide out of your grace and love and your abundance. And Father, there may be other needs, cares that we have on our hearts. And we lift them to you. We know that we have a private audience with you that you hear our cares, that you hear our cries, and you respond by mentioning our name. We pray for our missionary partners. We pray for Reach Beyond, that you will bless them as they bring your word through the electronic media of radio to the corners of the world, and that you bless the cloisters and their ministry and their work there. We pray for our neighbors around us today and this week. We pray for our neighbors on Coleman, that you would bless them and that they might know that that blessing comes from you. We bless you and thank you once again for this day. Thank you for your love and for your care. And uh, we pray you keep opening up our hearts to you, to letting our family, our friends, our co-workers, and everyone else know that we serve a risen Savior. We offer up our prayers to you in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed and said, Amen.